I'm Josh Snyder, and you're listening to Thoughtful Discussions, and I'm here with Ziggy Sawdust. So, Ziggy, um, tell me, what are you currently doing? Uh, right now, I run a production company, Ziggy Sawdust Productions. Uh, used to be located in Pittsburgh. I relocated out to Oregon a couple years ago okay. in the wake of uh, a kind of notorious music festival, Layer Cake Music Festival, that sure we can get into that later yeah but um but yeah so i i do work now i've been working on a um, putting together a collaboration between a few hip-hop artists from pittsburgh um black rap medusa and billy pilgrim yeah and i've um teamed them up with micah nine who's a member of freestyle fellowship which was a you know really big i mean they're still together and still have a large influence but they were probably at the peak of their popularity in the 90s Gotcha. And they came from like the East LA scene, um, like uh, like Limer Park, that area. And so I know Micah from whenever I used to live in the Bay Area 10 years ago. So I um, reconnected with him whenever I moved back out west and put together this collaboration that... Very cool. So yeah. what what exactly is your part in that? Oh, I brought together as executive producer cool. on that and also music director, you know, sort of took, uh, took the lead as far as assigning the direction of the, the sound. Cool. Um, I was assisted though by you know some real experts. You know, I don't pretend to be like a, you know, an expert sound engineer or anything like that. And I worked with um, locally. I worked with uh, DJ Soy Sauce. You know, Herman Pearl. Okay. Um, over at uh, Tough Sounds, and so he uh, he recorded the uh, instrumentals here in Pittsburgh. Uh, I brought in Reggie Watkins, who did uh, mm-hmm. all the all the uh, horn instruments on the track and also Nino Albanese who's in uh, Proper People and Defamos and the Saved he uh, plays keyboards on it as well Cool. and uh, Dan Miller who's in Flock of Walry and um, a few I believe he's I think he was in um, uh, Lone Wolf Club and then they changed their name to Heavy Chest I believe that he's in that group as well and so he did the strings on the track and whenever we recorded in Los Angeles, I brought out Black Rap Medusa and Billy Pilgrim, and we recorded with Joseph Leinberg um, in Eagle Rock, which is um, outside of LA. Yeah. And uh, Joseph Leinberg worked with, um, like he was the producer on Rhythm and Gangsta, you know, Snoop, Snoop Dogg's album, and uh, has also worked with Kendrick Lamar, SZA, and you know, all kinds of you know, big name performers. And so I saw that as a good opportunity to sort of continue what was originally one of the things that was my motivation, which was to sort of cross-pollinate between scenes and try to create opportunities for local artists here in Pittsburgh yeah. and marry them with opportunities out on the West Coast and stuff like that. And, you know, not, I wouldn't say more legitimate scenes, but scenes that are getting more of a spotlight, sure. you know? It's sure. a lot easier to, uh, if you have the, the, if you're surrounded by the right talent, it's a lot easier to get noticed they have a larger stage yeah they do have a larger stage that's a good way to put it you know because one of the things that i I recognized whenever i was in pittsburgh that was you know really one of my main motivations was there was a large amount of talent but there wasn't necessarily a large enough stage for that talent to be seen i see that and um with varying success that's sort of what i did with my production company whenever i was here in pittsburgh i tried to find different ways to uh, create unique opportunities for artists to you know, have uh, an opportunity to perform, but also to also get paid adequately. Um, a lot of that, you know, like I said, varying success. There were some things I tried that worked. There yeah. were some things that didn't. Uh, one of the things that was probably most effective was um, my partnership with Green Mountain Energy, mm-hmm. which started in 2014. Um, there was a concept that was developed by myself and Leo Kowalski, who was the partnership coordinator there. 
Yeah. And we sort of developed an idea where we created um, uh, a symbiotic relationship between, you know, the local music scene and, you know, their company. So the whole, the whole model that we had going, um, we did this at various small venues across the city, was they would put in X amount of money that would go to, to the bands mm-hmm. and um, in return they would be able to have a presence and teach people about how they could switch over their power bill to source it from renewable energy through Green Mountain, right? Right. And so it was sort of like a, you know, best of both worlds, win-win. You know, you get to have financial support and also know that's not coming from an insidious company that's, you know, just trying to, you know, kind of, uh, I don't know, I don't know how you put it, you know, they're not trying to like it's not one of manipulate. Evil, yeah. yeah, you yeah. know, like there's not like an insidious like over trying to get that local music scene dollar. You know what I mean? Right. It wasn't insidious. It was it was a very like it, it happened very organically and it you know went really well for a good number of years. And I believe that uh, they're still they still have a presence in the local scene as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so how did you get your start with um? Just like sort of t- that take lane. me back, yeah, 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 yeah most definitely. Um, I mean, I started like, as far as my entrance into doing art in general. I mean, that was, you know, I used to draw and paint and stuff like that whenever sure. I was uh, living in the Bay Area around like two thousand eight to two thousand ten. Okay, and then whenever I moved back after the economy crashed, um, I started to uh, move more into wood sculpture. Okay, and so this is sort of like a kind of unlikely path, but. I um I was able to get a lot of traction for myself and everything, and uh, but the one of the things I sort of realized was that networking like my my career my ability to sell wood carvings was based heavily on networking. It wasn't right. through some necessarily like any sort of intrinsic value. Yeah, it was something where it's like oh well no if you know how to sort of talk to people and connect with them then they're going to want to buy artwork from you absolutely there's sort of a fundamental i mean to to a certain degree i mean sure at a low level before you're you know before any sort of commodification happens it's all about just meeting people interacting with them and you know people want to work with you they want to see you keep doing what you're doing and so they support you right is that something that you think is learned or is that something you think you were kind of born with um i guess i sort of had more of a sensibility in that direction more than yeah maybe a you know, a lot of people. Okay. Um, but it was something that I sort of picked up on because it was really during that time that was whenever Facebook's algorithm was more slanted towards benefiting artists and stuff right. like that. Right. You know, like you're looking around 2011, 2012 before it was kind of the outrage machine that it became, <laughs> you know, and where they just sort of stopped prioritizing towards like giving people things that they actually wanted to see right. and gave them things that they were more likely to interact with. And so with that recalibration, I feel like that there was a lot that kind of changed during that time. 100%. And with all the different adjustments they've done since then, it's sort of, I know it's been hard for a lot of businesses to keep up with what direction they want you to spend your marketing dollars in, you know? Right. And that's probably a whole nother conversation right there. But, that's wild. But yeah, whenever, um, whenever I started getting success with that, I started getting some traction. Um, I, I realized that that there was only going to be so much fulfillment that I was going to gain from just promoting my own career yeah. uh, and my own opportunities. I, um, I, and I was appreciative of it, but at the same time, it wasn't going to be, it wasn't really enough for me, you know? Right. Um, it, it seemed something that was, that was only going to be like a sort of a, a means to an end as far as any, you know, as far as, Anything that I was ultimately trying to do and the reach that I really wanted to have, I wanted it to be about more than just me. 
Gotcha. And so whenever I moved out to, I moved out to Oregon the first time in 2012, and it was only out there a year. And whenever I came back in 2013, um, I ended up uh, doing uh, doing work for a friend of mine, Seth Leibowitz, who uh, owned and operated uh, Art Forum Gallery and Tattoo out in Lower Borough. Okay. Um, they've since closed at that location, but um, he still operates as a as a tattoo artist in Trenum. But uh, but yeah, he gave me a, a, an opportunity to organize shows at his gallery. Cool. And so that sort of started my that sort of started my interactions with a lot of different artists. I mean, I knew a lot of artists through there already for do you know having artwork and shows there over the years. But whenever I started bringing people together and um, you know coordinating uh, the exhibitions and everything like that, you know that started um, started to create a way uh, for me to meet other artists. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. uh, with a purpose. Right. And it didn't it didn't really work out long for a variety of reasons. There, um, it it was everything went well enough, but uh, but you know the the shop kind of went in a different direction. Gotcha. And uh, me me and Seth were you know, really great friends to this day. I actually saw him last night. Cool. But, um, but yeah, it was just something where it was, uh, you know, I was, I moved on to, to the next thing and that ended up being working with uh, Raw Artists of Pittsburgh. Okay. And whenever I started working with Raw, it was whenever Lee Yock was still running, running Raw. Uh, it was, I believe I took over, I took over the assistant position from Raya, uh, Raya Issa, I believe. Uh, she okay. was the person before me doing it. And so we started doing, um, well, there were already ongoing showcases at Cavo yeah. down in the, the Strip District. And so I started working with Lee and we would have X number of artists every month that we would, you know, have to get together for the show. And so, yep. and we'd have people submitting. And so as a, re as a result, I became aware of, you know, all these different artists that I never would have otherwise met. And, um, you know, things... I mean, Raw had a kind of a, it had a business model that, or still does have a business model, I suppose, that yeah. maybe isn't the best for everybody. Right. You know, they had a sort of, I mean, it's kind of a pay-to-play thing yeah. where you have to sell X number of tickets and in return you get, um, you know, a, a booth, which whenever me and Lee did it, there, there was, there was, a, there was enough, there was enough positive things that came of each show and enough artists that made money that it was viable that yeah. it was something that i felt was above board and we put and we put our heart and soul into making sure that all those productions you know were really you know were really the best that right. they could be you know like yeah we had uh different you know like tom brown he was the, the person who was in charge of all the production he does a lot of work with spirit now uh, right. me and lee and then uh, like Tog Hebes was also involved with it at different points, you know, for DJing and different DJs would also come in for it. Right. And um, we were able to get a good enough turnout and enough people spent money on artwork that there was a net benefit. Um, I do think that since then, um, yeah. without, I mean, I, I don't really know what they're doing with it now, but I know that the ticket prices went up right. and I feel like that it would be hard for me to do something similar at that price point. Right. now and sort of justify it as being viable for the artists yeah i mean because there were some artists that did really really well but then there were also times where artists didn't do so well sure and i think that eventually that that sort of accumulated you know i ended up leaving and uh lee ended up uh moving on to focus on spirit of right. course and that turned out to be a great success obviously 
Um, but that, that was really whenever I started meeting a lot of different artists in the area and started mm. um, really having conversations about doing, uh, doing, doing different types of shows and things like that, like sort of integrating things like live painting into performances and, you know, things of that nature. And, you know, a lot of the venues, it's kind of crazy, a lot of the venues that I worked at the most, pretty much all of them are closed or about to close <laughs> now. You know, James Street right. Gastro Pub, I mean, yep. Kevin Safner and uh, his mom, Lisa, and his dad, they were all very, you know, they were great. Like, we, we worked uh, frequently yeah. together. Right. Uh, Bloomfield Bridge Tavern, that was another yeah. one that I worked with, you know. Yeah. Not, not quite as frequently, but still worked with them, and they closed. Whenever I was working on those different types of shows, we did yeah. a lot of like you know live music shows. Like I said, integrated with like you know, live painting and stuff like that at different points. Yep. And um, Green Mountain Energy was able to to really play a large part in making that happen. Gotcha. And then I also you know would do you know would volunteer to help with local you know uh, festivals and fundraisers. Um, you know, volunteered for Rant one year, mm -hmm. Rock All Night. Um, Worked with uh, Deutschtown uh, for a couple years. Had a had a stage um, at James Street. Yeah. Um, let's see. And then uh, Bloomfest in 2015. I organized with um, Mary Jo Call, uh, Davon Magwood, uh, Chet Vincent. Um, let me see. I know I'm forgetting somebody. I think James from the Harlan Twins. I believe he was. Yeah, yeah, he was involved in that too. Um, so that was a great success. And I was able to, to sort of be able to be part of things I felt had a larger net benefit yeah. uh, from the from the relationship I had with Green Mountain. I was able to gotcha. sort of direct them to, you know, assist with different things like that to to put um, you know, put their money behind different local events and things like that, which I thought was very positive. Absolutely. You know, I'd say that's pretty much a, a good summarization of how everything went down. And yeah. then, um I guess that would kind of take me to what ended up being my undoing in a lot of ways, which would have been Layer Cake Festival, the uh, the Tories. What what year was <laughs> that? The Tories to me. Yeah, uh, and that was 2000, uh, 2015, 2016. Okay. Um, two thousand fifteen, um, it actually went wonderfully. Everything went off perfectly. It was at James Street Gastro Pub. We had all three floors going. The attendance was great. Um, yeah. Everyone had a great time, and it, everything went down as it was supposed to, and then. Um, and then right in the aftermath of that, there were a few things that happened. Um, a couple things in my personal life. I had, uh, at the time, it, I mean, it's, you know, at the time I was, you know, drinking too much. You yeah. Know? And so there were two separate incidents where I ended up getting uh, mat, like massive concussions gotcha. in between, which sort of threw me off in a way that I didn't really feel like recognizing at the time, I don't think. Gotcha. And um, whenever... Whenever that happened, I didn't take the appropriate time to sort of like, you know, attend to myself and sort of like make sure I was personally okay and yeah. just sort of just push forward and kind of force uh, force the issue. And but as an art, I mean, as an artist, especially when you're when, as an entrepreneur, you, you know, all you know is to just keep going, right? Like, oh yeah, especially when you're half drunk all the time. It's sort of is the lubrication that allows you to do all the all the things, right? To to make the decisions at certain points, right? You know, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean. Um, I mean, yeah, at that time I was a, a bit overwhelmed. I had gotten to a point where, you know, I was, at the time, uh, like the, the real last event that went really well um, was the uh, the event I did with uh, John Fetterman for his mm -hmm. campaign for Senate. Yeah, Spirit. I was there. You know, that, that event yeah. was, was great. And that was in large part due, because that was right after I'd had my, uh, my second concussion. 
And, gotcha. and so there, I mean, that event spoke more to the team around the Fetterman campaign. Right. Like, uh, you know, Lydia and Ryan and everyone. Yep. And, uh, and they did, they did an outstanding job with, you know, all of the, uh, all the logistics of it. And I definitely made a contribution, but, um, it, where I was at personally at that point, um, you know, they definitely, I wouldn't have been able to do it without them, you know, right. and they, they really made sure that that was, you know, an excellent event, excellent event and delivered. And then after that, it was just sort of, um, you know, kind of in a way, death by a thousand cuts, you know, like <laughs> I, I sort of had a bunch of, I had a few small events that didn't perform the way I, I expected them to yeah. and didn't operate and run smoothly as, uh, as much as they should have. Right. And so my, my failure to sort of recognize that and to integrate it into like what I should do moving forward, I definitely think that clouded my vision a bit. Gotcha. And um, I didn't, I, I, throughout all of this also, I was not very good at keeping um, boundaries between my personal and professional life. Gotcha. Like there was, it created a lot of tension in my relationship with my ex at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, just you know because I was always on you know I, I right. felt like I had a duty to always make myself available to people and to yeah. never you know never not be available and so if, you know me uh, and it's me hard and it's hard too when you're working nightlife because then like you're, oh, yeah. Out people are used to you being available till 3 a.m. exactly yeah and, and then, I'm used to being available to 3 a.m. Right, right you know I'm used to, to filling that role and so right. if there was any time that I was let's say go on a date or something if someone came up and started talking to me I'd feel as like a you know a business if, owner it's still if my you agency, wanted that opportunity that I had to right. you know I had to suck it up and always be available should right. I need to be so but right you know there 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 is a line I think the line's different um, yeah. for everybody based upon the other things they're doing like I don't right. think I was doing myself any favors with a lot of the just my personal habits for coping with the stress yeah. and I'd also had a hard time saying no right and I kept on taking on more and more and more and then um, I decided and uh, and this this was this was one aspect that was uh, hun you know hundred percent my fault. I I took the success of an October festival, yeah, and then decided to change the date and scale it to the beginning of the summer. Which yeah. in hindsight, I'm like, yeah, that was not the, that was not the right move. <laughs> right. Um, and so that was really one of the things that hurt Layer Cake the second time around in early gotcha. June. Was uh, was you know it was partially hubris, I'd say. Um, part of it also, there was just some very bad luck that I had, uh, leading into that. Yeah. Um, there were, were, there were also factors of, um, I don't want to say too much on this, but there were some sponsors that I think would bear some culpability. I'll just sort of leave it at that. Yeah. Um, that kind of left me in a bad place going into it. Well, but uh, the, let me, the let me talk real quick. <laughs> being in the Stanley cup on my Saturday, was really the nail in the coffin. Gotcha. Uh, that, that killed the attendance. Let me talk about the sponsorship real quick because we we yeah. talked about Green Mountain Energy. Yeah, and they oh were, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't no no them. no they, they not, were great. Yeah, I don't mean that. I just mean so the what some people you know listening. Um, I try to have a lot of artists and a lot of entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. So it's it's the my my base is a lot of people that might be interested in doing a show or mm -hmm. maybe they've done shows or maybe they're in bands, whatever. Um, so having a sponsor and I kind of come from this background too because I'm. I'm working, um, I try to work with festivals and stuff and get mm -hmm. sponsorships for them. Yes. Um, so just to kind of clue people in, like having that relationship, someone giving you a, an X amount of dollars up front, mm -hmm. it enables you to put on a, 
whatever the production is. Yes. And so it, it, it creates a relationship. All right, you're going to get this. I'm going to get this. Can we do this in a way that's comfortable? It's not sleazy. It's, it's, it's um, And on the know, appropriate timeline. Right. And it works for everyone. And then if it does, then you can keep working with that person. But then you have, let's say you have another sponsor. They're going to give you, you know, they promise you some sort of, you know, big amount of money, $10,000, $20,000, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they find a way to pull out at the last minute, I mean, that that could be detrimental. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, yeah. So basically, that's what happened. Yeah, that's basically what happened. Um, yeah, I would say that if you're in that position, let's say hypothetically, and you are courting a sponsor that has the ability to give you like five figures, something like that, Yeah. I would always encourage everyone to, even if you've worked with them before, get a contract in writing. Yeah. Uh, have an attorney put that together for you. Don't try to put it together yourself because they're going to have more money to fight you legally, right. potentially, so you don't want to give them a weak contract. And one of the things that's really important is to make sure that there's a severe penalty if they don't get you the funds by a certain date. Because they need to make sure that you need to make sure that they don't just through the just through the the mechanism of large corporations. Sometimes you know you have like the the finance department or the right. whatever whatever 100%. department handles paying people out. They just aren't really incentivized to get things done quickly because they're also trying to get get like good quarterly performance numbers, for instance. Of course, right. Of course. And so whenever I found out that the this one certain sponsor. Um, that they were, they were still going to sponsor me, but they decided to cut about eighty percent of the total that they were going to give me. Right. I found out a month before the show. Yeah. And I didn't have uh, an ironclad contract in place. I had yeah. something, but it wasn't going to be strong enough to go against them. And they were like, "Well, and it's we're- a sponsor, and they're still giving you some money, so you're not trying to like. It's hard to, you know, be sure, like- yeah. <laughs> well, and also, well. Um, specifically with that, it was, they reduced the amount and then they sent it two weeks late. Right. Um, and then also whenever they do that to you a month out from the event, um, good luck trying to find a presenting sponsor a month out from a festival. Right. You know, cause you're like, Hey, our advertising's already been going a month, but do you want to jump in for this outrageous amount and right. like, get the last half of it? You yeah, know, like, you know, yeah. they're not going to, you know, you're not going to be able to bring anybody to the table with that. 100%. And so I had to make a decision at that point. Whenever that happened, I decided that I was going to press forward and, you know, hope it would land like, you know, other things had landed for me in the past, which in hindsight's like, you know, pretty preposterous, but I just wasn't in, I wasn't really seeing the whole field personally. Got you. Now, when you were two weeks out from the event um, and, you know, you, you're, you're in that position. Yeah. Now, was there any option? It was, it was a month out when that happened. Okay. A month out, yeah. Was there any option to kind of like, all right, I'm just going to cancel this? It, yeah, it, of course. It, like, I mean, there in, always in, is, right? right? I mean, you could have uh, could have done it, but I, I was measuring, I was weighing the the, the damage from the disappointment um, and then also weighing the damage of just the unreliability of doing something like that. Right. And uh, I thought that there was at least the, the ability to break even. Got you. You know, at that point, I was like, you know what, this will break even, and that's fine. You know, it's like six months that I put into it that, you know, I'm not going to make anything off of it, so that sucks, but, right. you know, you live to fight another day, right? Sure, sure. And, um, and yeah, whenever whenever we hit about, I think it was like a week and a half, two weeks out, uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins were in the Stanley Cup playoffs against the Tampa Bay Lightning. They were down three games to one, 
Um, and I don't think at that point in history any team would come back down yeah. three to one right. in that position to come right. back and go to the Stanley Cup. Yeah. And so uh, I'll be honest. At that point, at that point, I was a Tampa Bay Lightning fan because I did the math. I'm like, oh fuck! Like one of those <laughs> games is going to fall on my Saturday if yeah. they don't get knocked out. And so I remember watching the games and like, <laughs> like, oh, they won that one. Shit. Okay. Well, they can't possibly win the next one. Shit. They yeah. Won that one too. And then like, whenever they finally, whenever they finally pulled it off, I, I immediately realized like, oh, I think I'm fucked. And at that point, at that point, um, I probably should have just canceled it then anyway. Yeah. Um, but then there was that nagging, you know, show must go on mentality in the back right. of my head that I gave way too much attention to. Yeah. And so as a result, I ended up uh, putting, I was able to at least get um, over the immediate hump with my own personal money, which uh, yep. wasn't, you know, the best of ideas either. And then <laughs> whenever it came to, whenever the Penguins were announced as being in the Stanley Cup. I was hoping that they would play their game three, um, which ended up being on the Saturday whenever I had the most bands, that ended up landing on a Friday. Gotcha. And so, uh, that, that, like, I wanted to land on a Friday because Saturday I had all my bands, right. and that ended up landing on a Saturday. I, gotcha. I misspoke there. I get you. And so, whenever that happens, um, the, you know, the day of the show, I remember I was in Mr. Small's theater, and everything was like, filling up steadily till about 7, 7.30, and then I was like, oh, maybe maybe we'll make it. Maybe we can pull it off. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll pull this off. And then I, I watched, it was like the tide washing out, and then I was like, oh. And, you know, in that moment, I knew I lost everything, but yeah. like I didn't want to admit it to myself, yeah. you know? And I just remember like different people who were performing there were just walking past me in the hallways, giving me like these like, these awful looks of like, oh, dude, this is bad, you know? Right. Like, the, the pity was the worst, you know? Right. I, I would have preferred abject anger, which, you know, for some people came later. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, uh, like, whenever whenever that moment hit, yeah. um, this is another thing in hindsight, that there were things that I probably could have done to manage the capital that I did, ha did have to borrow appropriately to get myself over the hump. Yeah. But at that point, I was... I was burned out in many ways yep. and like just sort of crushed in general, you 100%. know, and, uh, and then I, I, you know, took a couple days to sort of try to figure out my next move. Yeah. Uh, just sort of get some perspective on it. And, um, and there was, uh, you know, a lot of people were pissed, of course, some people. Still how so how many bands played? <laughs> <laughs> it was a two day event. <laughs> two day event. Yeah. It was like 167 acts between like, four venues over the course of two days with like 10 stages something like that was, and what was, did every band get paid um uh, well the last no, no, like the, the, yeah the goal the, the model the, was to pay everybody a, a certain flat amount you right, know, you know that right. was independent of the you know the the results right gotcha. right you know, so that way there was a, a fixed amount yeah which i mean some people would argue that i should never have done that but i think that it's sort of disingenuous to have it can be. I mean, there's many different types of sure. local festivals to do, but I felt with the model that I was doing, it would be, you know, I felt it would be disingenuous for me personally if I was like, oh, well, we'll be on a sliding scale of maybe it will do this. You know, right. Arguably, I made the wrong choice. Um, there's definitely an argument for that. But one of the things I always wanted to see was bands getting paid an acceptable minimum so you could, uh, you know, make it worth your time. 
Yeah. And um, as far as, you know, where things stand now, I'm still paying the last of the debts that I owe. Yeah. You know, it's gotten to a point where I've taken uh, taken care of the bulk of them. So if there's a listener out there who's like, hey, fuck you, man. Like, I'm, you know. <laughs> working on it. Yeah, yeah, I'm working on it. And you can message me if you want to direct communication on it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, one of the things that, that, you know, one of the things that, that in the aftermath was probably the hardest for me personally to deal with that kind of impacted you know, my decision was, you know, there was uh, an assumption of bad will on, on behalf of a few people who were, like, very vocal, I guess. Yeah. And so that sort of... It only of, takes a few to be loud to, to yeah. make it seem like everyone's there. Yeah, and I, I was down, man. I was, I was beaten. Yeah. I was down at that point, you know. And so, like, um, I probably took some of that a little bit more to heart and let it affect my decision making. Yeah. Um, more than I should have. Um, I should have been a little bit more objective and looked at like, okay, uh, here's the capital, use this to get lent this amount, and then once that clears and you can do this and that. Right. But um, instead of putting any something on a timeline that would allow me to do that, I just wanted to pay out what I could to whoever I could yeah. at the at the moment, just to try to like, you know, just stop the inundation of, of the whole thing you know gotcha and so uh so that's something squeaky that, wheel gets the oil yeah 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 <laughs> oh yeah i mean that that was it to a certain degree yeah and i i considered i considered doing you know like if i really wanted to i probably could have just like the very next day i started planning other events right i could have got myself into the slippery mess of just like keeping things going right you know and then just sort of tried to like you know bite my lip and like just spin my wheels through the you know sort of the yeah. bad faith that people were assuming of me right but i mean i recognized at that point uh, that there was a sort of a disparity of people's perception of me and who i was yeah i think that there was i think people thought i was making more money than i was would be one thing and then that as a business owner i mean everyone always thinks you're making more money exactly than you are. yeah i mean yeah. yeah most definitely that's definitely true but yeah, there's one one of the things that was most damaging as far as like my personal psyche and like that yeah. kind of affected my decision making was that there were people who were, you know, sort of vocally making the assumption that I had somehow ripped everybody off and that I'd made out on, on the festival. Right. And that I had somehow made money. Um, and <laughs> there and that assumption of bad faith kind of a, you know, I mean it was a, from only a few few yeah. people in hindsight, yeah. but just that that was such an like i took that so personally because there was just so much time that i would just gladly donate to people frequently and i felt yeah. that i'd accumulated at least enough of a of, of a framework that when people would view me they would at least assume that for all my faults i was at least acting in good faith yeah and so the bad faith assumption that sort of became like you know that was brought to me mm -hmm. was something that was you know was really it was really crushing to me on a personal level because it was like okay you call call me an idiot for doing this sure I mean that there's an argument for that as sure. far as how this went down right but, but to put that assumption of bad faith on me I felt that I had at least you know earned uh, a, yeah. a, an assumption of good intentions right you know and um, and you know. And at the time too, I mean, because it was also a very tricky time just in, in, in the world, you oh, know, yeah. like people were really bummed out around that time because this came about a month after, I mean, you know, the demographic that I like that would go to my shows or the bands and all that stuff, that was right around the time that, you know, Bernie lost the primary and I was a very 
politically vocal person you know yeah. like i was working you know did fundraisers for the fetterman campaign and stuff like that yeah he ended up losing there, there was a lot of things in that very moment that yeah. everybody was just very just it was just depressing yeah you know it was a very de just depressing <laughs> time you know and so i feel like that there was just a general unrest that you know anybody who was tied to anything political i feel like that there was kind of an assumption like oh this is all bullshit anyway you yeah. know like yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, this is all you know so i think that there was a little bit of uh schadenfreude i might have gotten from people that maybe wasn't necessarily something i would have gotten in other circumstances just right because of a general distrust of all systems at that time and yep. everybody knows how 2016 ended so you know it, it was uh it was just a very it was like a perfect storm in so many ways like right lo lo looking back on it it's like it's like it was such like a thorough beautiful failure in so many <laughs> ways that you know I look back i'm like whoa i, I did that jesus christ so yeah. just about so how many bands how many bands again sorry for uh, for layer um, cake like uh acts it was like 167 i think so 167 bands so you've been building up for how many years four years um that like building from up you started accumulatively with yeah. the things that i was doing for four years like sh putting on but show, that was, that bands. Was, yeah that that was four years well no three so years, then basically right? you, three years okay so three you years. book you you build up all this thing after three years you basically book every band that you've made a connection with that can play that date and then it, and then it just happens drag every guy with a banjo from under every bridge just threw him on stage and um and then and then okay. it gets it gets ruined um mm -hmm. and you know it wasn't directly your fault but part of it uh, was yeah part of it part part of it was I mean, yeah. i'm not gonna like not take accountability for some of the things i look back i'm like oh yeah i could have made a better decision there you know? right oh same you know like <laughs> lots of things sorry i didn't interrupt but just yeah no i get that. you <laughs> um but we gotta we gotta let it roll off our shoulders and and do the next thing so mm -hmm. yeah so from there i mean um i mean you're you're trying to f obviously you've you've paid who, who you could pay back and you still have more common mm -hmm. yeah um yeah. and won't stop till it's done yeah i know we've talked about that um on a personal level yeah some people i haven't been able to get a hold of yeah you know and like uh but yeah for the most part i've, I've paid the majority of it off yeah i got you, know, you and everything and that's that was no small feat considering like yeah. the cost of like you know venue rental and all that stuff you know there's yeah it, it was I'm, I'm amazed i've been able to get as far as i have in a short amount of time after that i honestly. think that there's more pr venue or, or event promoters that have done a lot crappier job just failed and bounced and still work never paid and, no and still do, still and, work and, and yeah, do it yeah. all the time sure yeah that, um, there is that breed for sure i mean that's the stereotype of the shady promoter right right and that's another thing is like any if you're doing any sort of promotion i mean you're 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 pretty much you're like by being a promoter you're putting yourself before the like the, the masses and the mob and be like hey you know yeah. go do this right right and so you're you're sort of you can't be too surprised at the blowback you get whenever you fuck up and i feel like that that's where a lot of people's scruples kind of oh, show I, to not be um up totally above board right and that's whenever you get a lot of the people who will either just you know make a bunch of excuses and keep going like i said if i'd really wanted to i, I could have forced things and kept things moving yeah but i thought that would have been disingenuous and i was also just burned out at that point you know? right so you spent a i'm very broke how long how long <laughs> did you stay in pittsburgh after later okay um it was a year before i moved to oregon yeah um and what what made you decide to move back, move back to oregon 
Well, I went to I went to Oregon. I mean, I'm originally from here, but I, I had lived in Oregon uh, for about a year previously. Right. And I uh, helped my friend who was um, he was a patient out there, and uh, he was battling uh, prostate cancer. And I helped him with his farm until he passed. It was a cannabis farm, and so from my time there, I had a friend out there who worked for um, a medical um, a medical company, and he mm -hmm. got me connected with a uh, a farm out there. So I was just doing what's called trimming, right? Yeah, and so I went out there just to sort of, you know, start back again. I knew that if I, you know, you can make a lot of money if you have the discipline to do it. Yep. And at that point, I was still not in a good personal place. Like I was, you know, still drinking too much and just generally depressed. I, you know, lost my house, lost, I lost everything. You know? Yeah. And so at that point, whenever I, I, I went to work, at, like, uh, I actually went out during 2016 to work uh, the first uh, the, the work the season in the fall, and then uh, I came back. And I was around for another seven, eight months. Uh -huh. And then I think September of 2017 is whenever I moved out to Oregon. And then um, I ended up losing, I ended up leaving the farm that I was at after a bunch of shit went wrong there. And I ended up being homeless. Like the way 2018 started, I was homeless living out of my car, going between rest stops on I-5, yeah. you know? Gotcha. And then um, from there, it was... Well, I found, uh, I, I was able to find work, a little bit of work, yeah. you know, just doing just manual labor stuff, like like pretty much landscaping stuff on farms, you know, nothing glamorous or anything like that. Sure. And then I was able to sort of parlay. Um, one of the things that happened was the, the popularity of hemp and CBD. Yeah. And so the hemp and CBD industry was where, you know, I ended up getting connected with a, a hemp farm. Okay. And one of the things, as I sort of learned the ropes, one of the things I learned was that there was uh, ongoing uh, distrust between uh, a lot of farmers and a lot of the people who were trying to buy and source CBD and hemp. Gotcha. Um, it's it's a new market, and so yeah. as a result, there's a lot of distrust. Yeah, you know, like there, like you wouldn't think there necessarily would be, but from a buyer's perspective, you have problems like, you know, crops being in, infected with mold. You know, you have things like. Uh, you know, whole crops getting seeded by neighboring crops aren't managed properly. Like there's so many things that can like, you can lose everything so quickly. Yeah. And, and there are a lot of people that just didn't know what they were doing. And so you'd have these big companies that would, you know, be trying to buy CBD at a certain quality and then they would get their shipment and then they'd have this like, you know, rotten bales of useless mm -hmm. hemp. Right. Like what, what the fuck? Yeah. You know, and then there were also sellers. Uh, there were there were buyers that were going through, and this still is happening because this hasn't been like you know regulated. Yeah. There were buyers that would be looking for hemp and CBD, and or they would claim to be, and they would have letters of intent, they would have uh, proof of funds and all this stuff, mm -hmm. but it would all, it all turn out to be bogus. And I believe, I mean, I'm not entirely sure exactly the rationale, but it seemed like they were trying to create instability within that market. And so one of the things I realized was that I knew a bunch of hemp farmers that were good people that knew what they were doing. And yeah. I knew, and I had the, you know, the sort of a, like, I don't know, I used to be an account executive for a company. So I was used to dealing with gatekeepers for yeah. big corporations and stuff like that. Right. So I started connect, uh, contacting you know these bigger companies like and yeah. um was able to sort of be like well what are you looking for what do you need um what kind of quality do you need and i started pairing them with farmers for consulting fees gotcha you know so and it was just 
something that was kind of a no-brainer to me you know just yeah. connecting good people with good people yeah you know which seems i mean it's it's a lane that is only going to exist for a certain amount of time sure and i have no desire to really be any sort of like i don't want to be in that industry permanently yeah. you know what i mean right, right. It's sort of means to an end and for now makes you know, sense it's something that's one of the things that my production company is doing you know is working working with that and then as well as um you know I have a few, I have a documentary that I'm going to be starting production on that unfortunately I can't really talk about until we get all the paperwork uh, lined up, but gotcha. pretty much everything now has been focused on developing um, developing uh, a few projects that are you know, mainly in LA, mainly in Los Angeles, with um, as much input from artists and creatives from Pittsburgh as, as I can possibly find. You know, like it was neat, like the the collaboration that I was putting together with uh, my nine Billy Pilgrim and Black Rap Medusa. Yeah. Um, I was actually able to even find a videographer out there, Alex Nell, who was uh, originally from Pittsburgh. You know, to uh, to like record all the behind the behind the scenes stuff. Um, there was uh, the sound guy I found who was out in LA. He was really from Pittsburgh. You know, it's like wow. all, all all these all these <laughs> fun little things fell into place, and you know, yeah. like. I, I, uh, I I don't know. I always just try to like sort of make you know incorporate that uh, mm. into any project that I do. I try to you know pull from the the you know well of talent that I've you know seen and the people I know in Pittsburgh that you know understand what I still understand what I'm about and right. down to work with me. You know. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I mean it's been something that overall I mean I, I'm just. I'm very grateful at the end of the day um, yeah. I look back at Lyric Kick and everything that that was and it was actually one of the best things that could have ever happened to me you know like yeah. since like even from a like you know like I was saying with a personal level like I became healthier you know yep. eventually I was able to you know I haven't drank in like two years now yep I uh, lost almost 100 pounds from uh, like uh, whenever like would that be June of 2016 um, you know, just everything sort of fell into a, a you know, a better place eventually, right, you know, right. like, and, and it took a long time and, but at the same time, there, there's a, a tremendous amount of value and failure as long as you're willing to make the most of it and actually learn from it and apply what you learn. Absolutely. So that's one of the things that I really took from it was, you know, it was, I mean, I've lost everything about three different times <laughs> in my life. So. Yeah. You know, losing all my physical stuff was, you know, probably the least painful part of that whole process, you know, which was good. Um, yeah. But it, it's it was something to reaffirm, like, reaffirm a lot of things that I'd forgotten, you know, like making yeah. sure that I was showing up for myself so I could show up for other people is one yep. of the things I sort of look back on. Like, there was a certain point whenever I was overworked and just, you know... I just wasn't very functional, mm -hmm. you know. I was probably functioning at like sixty percent on a daily basis, and I was just forcing, forcing myself through it. And a lot of it was because I saw value in what I was doing, and so I, I felt on some level, you know, accountable towards that. Like, well, who am I to not want to do this thing that ha mm -hmm. I see has value, right? You know, and so I'd feel like uh, a need to say yes to more things than I should have. And as gotcha. a result, and since I wasn't making the appropriate accommodations in my personal life to keep boundaries, you know, as a result, I would just, uh, it became unmanageable. Right. And, and so I think that's one thing that, you know, I think in the U.S. there's uh, very much a culture that, that I've seen of, you know, like sort of making being a workaholic a virtue, yeah. you know, and sure, work hard, work your ass off, but it's just important to realize <laughs> that if you tip the scales too much in one direction, 
it becomes untenable and, and you, right. you know it's going to be something that it might, might not happen for 5 10 you know 20 years but you know you're going you know you're going to see the ramifications of that in your personal life in your relationships you know like Absolutely. They, there were there were people in my life who mattered a lot to me that I also sort of lost connection with during that time yeah as a result you know like there are people I'll come back to Pittsburgh to visit every once in a while and there are people that I've seen more since I've moved out to Oregon than I ever saw whenever I was living right here in Pittsburgh you yeah. know yeah like and so I, I like it's really important I think to make sure that you know your priorities are aligned in such a way that you are taking yourself into account you know, and making sure that, you know, the things that make whatever hard work you're doing worth it, that you have that time and space, Absolutely. which, you know, as a business owner, it's it's so easy to rationalize not giving yourself any of that time. Right. You know, and, and I know that, you know, for you, especially, you know, you, you have a kid and everything. So, yeah. you know, finding that time, it's so crucial. You Absolutely. Know? And that's one of the things I've really admired about what, I, what I've seen you do as you've grown is that you, you've managed yourself very well. Thank you. You know, and, and I know we've talked before about, you know, your your beginnings and stuff like that right. and some of the bumps in the road that you hit you know like hundreds i was going to say a lot of these yeah. things that i'm talking yeah. about i think most business owners out there will be pretty familiar with Absolutely. with a lot of the uh you know those hurdles that you you're met with and yeah and you see people like you know whether it's like gary v or or, or someone like that grant cardone um, and they'll talk about like, oh, you know, failure is part of it, but they don't talk about how they fail. Yeah, you yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah. and and so to hear hear <laughs> yeah. a very real, um, you know, real life autopsy. Yeah, <laughs> of like, hey, this is me, and this is how I failed. Yeah. Um, it, it, and to see that you you went you know went through that and you got through it and you're um, you're get you've come out of it. Yeah. And learned from it, got better. Um, like one of my questions is, wh what do you think is the th the driving force behind? I, I know one of the things you said was like, like thankfulness, just like glad you're glad you're here, glad you're still yeah, doing it. Yeah, gra gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. Yes. Um, I mean that's huge. As much I, as you can. Absolutely. I think that I think that gratitude is one of the biggest things um, you can do for yourself to keep um, like keep your mental health. It, it, it's if if you're ha if you're thankful. And you're and you have gratitude. There's, you can't. It, it's hard to get upset. Yeah, you know. Um, so I, I think that's awesome, and I'm really glad that you said it because that's that's where I'm at. You know, whether I whether I'm doing really really good or I'm in my slow season and mm -hmm. things are starting to hurt and you know whatever it, is, it gets better every year. But yes. But um, I think knowing that I I have something that I made and knowing that. You know, just being able to be grateful for what it is. Yes. No, you know, you got to be self-aware and know what it is. But yeah. You, but once you, once you have that and you have that self-awareness and um, gratitude is definitely. I think that's huge. So oh, I'm for really, sure. I'm really it, glad you mentioned that. And it's one of those things that you know, one of the biggest, like the your biggest enemy is always going to be yourself in a lot of ways. Yeah, you know, like as far as making decisions that mm -hmm. impact like uh, more people than just yourself, you know, right. as, as a business owner. And uh, one of the things that I just wasn't willing to see was sort of how my imbalance was impacting my decision making. Absolutely. And, you 
you know, like I mentioned, I had a few concussions around that time that I yep. didn't take the time to actually address my personal health appropriately. Yeah. And so just like, just general neglect of like yourself. I mean, and it's one of those things like, you know, I've always, my baseline mm-hmm. has always been depression throughout my entire life. Right. Gotcha. I've always been right. very depressed. Yeah. And so like, you know, leaning too hard on what you do for a living to be the only thing to resolve that yeah that's also not healthy 100%. and that's sort of what i trapped myself into doing was i was gotcha. putting the burden of what i was doing for a living to also make you know be the measurement for how i was living yeah and conflating those two things i think was was very you know was very detrimental to me because i wasn't i wasn't getting the support from the places where i should have been on a personal level right and if you aren't supporting yourself on a personal level then i think that ends up being reflected uh, in your judgment on a business level, hundred percent. And uh, well, that's one of the things I, I was grateful for. Also, is that it sort of, um, you know, throughout this whole crazy process, it, it you know taught me how to realign and sort of reset, um, like a lot of the values that I think that I knew and sort of just lost sight of or yeah. maybe took for granted to a certain extent. Yep. And so I I, I, I encourage people to make sure that. You know, don't sacrifice your closest friendships in the name of your business. Make sure you're taking the time to connect with the people around you. Because at the end of the day, that Absolutely. that's also what what matters. You know, if you right. build, you know, you can build an empire or whatever. You can you can scale to the point where you're highly, you know, you're going to be looked at as materially successful. But material success isn't going to be any sort of assurance of any real fulfillment or happiness. Hundred percent. And um, and so that's something that I think. Um, I think that that was something I took away from the aftermath of all that. I mean, it took me, it's not like I realized all this overnight. Either. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Yeah. That's another thing. It's not like I, I gained this perspective immediately in the aftermath. I had to you know, go through a process of holding myself accountable, you yep. know, holding myself, uh, you know, accountable to myself, to what happened, you know, not play the blame game. Like there were, there were many things that contributed sure. to layer cake tanking, but at the end of the day, I, I take full culpability for that because I was the driving force behind it. Right. And so that's one of the things that I, I see that right. a lot of people in similar situations, you know, people will start pointing fingers, placing blame, putting right. people on blast to sort of create like a, you know, to create like a whole, you know, partition between them and the outcome. Yeah. You know, whereas it, at that time, you know, I felt like it was the only respectable thing I could do would be not to do any more events until I took care of the one that blew up my face. You yeah. know, yeah, yeah. And I think there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of specifically uh, probably promoters that would have just kept on kept on going, moving and shaking. You know what I mean? Right, right. And then that that gets sticky very fast. So I, I'm at least glad that I, I knew well enough to know when I lost my hand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like uh, sometimes you lose a hand and it's a, it's a shitty hand to lose, but you can't just, you know, keep going back to the table. You know what I mean? Right. Like uh, chasing what you lost. And 100%. so, uh, so that's, that's another thing is, you know, I think it's important to realize when you failed into like, like if I, if I had actually, and, and I didn't do a, a perfect job of it either. I mean, if I had actually taken into account everything, that that had happened and i had just taken a second and put it in perspective and admitted like okay well you're going to have to um you're going to have to weather this loss and anything like anything that's there you gotta like liquidate all those all those things immediately yeah. so you can address this and there are certain projects that i should have just immediately just like well that's done sorry mm-hmm. done 
and I was trying to still keep a, a few things alive. You well, know, you probably and, weren't sure how that money, how that you know, how it was going to work. Yeah, well, it wasn't you were even, still you were still losing everything. It, it wasn't like, even putting money into certain things. It was taking care of things that were a burden on my my you know like the the credit right right you know, that would have allowed me more borrowing ability to address the loss that I took financially right right, right. and so that's something in hindsight that I feel like there are a lot of financial decisions, especially as a business owner, that you're only going to really see it in hindsight. Hundred percent. Um, and so I look back at that. I'm like, oh shit! If I had just you know just gotten rid of that and stopped putting my energy into this yep. and maybe done this instead. You know, there, there's always that to a certain degree. Yeah. And so, I mean, I guess the best that you can really take from anything like that is recognizing it um, and applying it for the next time, you know. But the main thing is to not let failure be, be the end of you, you know. It's important yeah. to just realize that it's part of being a human and um, it feels a lot more personal whenever you're whenever you're the driving force behind something like that and you're the face of it, it yeah. it's that much more devastating. Whereas, you know, if you're working for a business and you lose your job because the business closes, you know, that's not going to, it's not going to sting right. you know, the same way, you know, like they're, they're, absolutely. And so like, uh, as you know, speaking to specifically of business owners, sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that's something that's important to keep in mind is that, you know, you know, it, Someday, if they, if you end up taking it on the chin as badly as I did, yeah, um, you know that's something that you sort of have to be prepared for mentally and yeah. willing to deal with, uh, you know, as well, I don't know what the word would be as uh, not classily, but uh, you know, graciously as possible. I suppose yeah. would be the best way to put it. You know, into. Uh, to make sure that you do everything you can to learn all that you can from it and then apply that in the future. Right. Love it. Um, so if you were to meet someone today and they said, you know, they went to shake your hand, how would you introduce yourself? What is it that you would um, you would tell them, like, who you are and what you do? Um, hi, I'm Ziggy. Cool. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not really... I'm not really I've gotten to such an to such a point where I kind of went in a less I went in a less personable direction yeah. as far as how I present myself because I became so burned out with being on all the time okay. that I just sort of removed myself from constantly promoting yeah. myself to people okay. at, at the outset so that's sort of hard for me to like I don't think there's necessarily any I don't think there's necessarily value in me making that choice it's just something that I specifically have chosen to do I probably could be more su successful if I was more aggressive in that capacity but I also know that since I don't have a desire to scale beyond where I'm at right now yeah um, I have my clients I have my projects I always have I have one film project, I have one music slash music video project, I have a graphic novel that's getting developed, and I have um, like a carving that I'm working on. Awesome. Those are the four things. Yeah. You know, and then outside of that I have my clients. Yeah. And I have my three or four clients. And so that's about as large as I care to be right now. Gotcha. <laughs> you know, because I, I, I don't want to scale past what I'm yeah. willing to sacrifice out of my personal time. Gotcha. And whenever any of those things land or don't land as they may be, then um, you know, then it's on to the next project, and uh, just sort of try to, you know, cliche, but take it one day at a time. And no, the, the last that. thing, I, the last thing I ever want to do is to put myself in, uh, 
situation like I was at before where I, I kind of lost sight of myself where I was yeah. so so fucking verbal all, all the time you know i mean I'm, I'm a very verbal person i talk a lot yeah. but but it was something where i was i was always there like, wasn't a balance to it yeah i was verbally asserting like myself yeah. and what i was trying to do like you know i don't i don't even know if i would have been capable of having like a fully neutral basic conversation with people during that time because there was also the anxiety of feeling like you know people that i talked to it's like oh this person wants something for me so uh so this is this is like you know there, there's business yeah. You know, in this uh, interaction and so that's going to be informing what you know it's so I, I i sort of was unable since i didn't have clear boundaries i wasn't able to have the ability to trust you know and relax around people because there was some part of my mind that thought it was somehow tying into work right. you know which was something that was very in hindsight would made me you know it was very pretty miserable place to get myself to from a from a, just a social human aspect you know yeah it was something where there was there was an off switch there you know but you yeah. know as far as i was concerned i was on all the time and then I, I didn't know what what it was to be off and not be in that mode where i was you know promoting whatever it was right. that i was doing or trying to put together uh, another project whatever it may be or fundraiser yeah like these were these were all different things that uh that sort of eventually took over how how I interacted naturally with people and yeah. it, and it, it really stressed me out in a lot of ways and gotcha. so I think it's important to uh, to make sure that you know you know where your off switch is and that you actually you know turn off you know um, every once in a while at least you know because it's very easy to sort of just get caught up in everything and then it's all about the next thing you know the next thing and right you know, getting this done and, oh i gotta worry about this and oh i should be expanding oh i should be scaling to this you know <laughs> and, and that's what a lot, like a lot of economists will tell you that you know if your business isn't growing you know it's you know failing or it's only a, a certain amount of time before it fails which i don't really necessarily subscribe to you know because yeah. i one of the things also is that whenever you scale beyond a certain point if the people who liked you at the size you were and liked the the lane that you were in right. operating at that scale yeah. they might not want to be involved with uh, the, the more aggrandized, larger scale version of yourself where they feel like that they can't even see, you know, they, they can't see you through all of the, yeah. you know, through all of the expansion, you know, through through trying to do all the things and right. you sort of lose, you lose people's confidence. And that's another thing is like, if you're doing anything that is, you know, that where you're relying on people's confidences in you, you right. know, there's a very thin line between being a con artist and being a saint. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's all about success rate. Yeah. And so, you know, because the, the, both, you know, it's like, you know, people give you their confidences. I mean, people would say very nice things to me whenever I was putting together fundraisers and stuff like that, you know, and I, I would I would appreciate it. But at the same time, it was like terrifying to me, you know, whereas because I knew that like, you know, on some level, you know, I knew that like, oh, shit, this is based upon me being successful in doing this right and so if the day comes where everything doesn't work you know and this is not something i'd really allow to enter into my mind very often because you know it, it's like what you're trying to avoid most right. but like the day where people put their confidences in you and you don't deliver right well then you're a confidence man you're a confidence artist you're a, a con artist right? right is how you're going to be perceived because you're 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 trafficking in a type of currency that is outside of money you know it's people what people think of you and yeah. what people believe you to be about and so if there's any sort of you know 
crack in, in that, you know, yep. in that surface that you put forward, you know, it's something where people can very quickly just start thinking the worst of you. I'm like, oh, well, that person was never this all along and they were just deceiving me, you know, which I, I felt like I, I got a little bit of that, you right. know, in the aftermath of Layer Cake where people were like, well, maybe he was just full of shit the whole time, you know, because like, look at this fucking mess, you know, Yeah. <laughs> which I mean, I get it. I mean, I, I, I totally get where people were coming from with where they could have extrapolated that. I mean, I know that that was never the case, but, you know, for the people that didn't know me that well, who were stuck yeah. in that whole fucking mess, yeah. like, yeah, and I can totally see where people would have come away from that thinking that I was a piece of shit and that I was, you know, always just, you know, putting on some sort of uh, facade, right. you know, which wasn't the case, you know, for me. Yeah. I mean, but it was one of those things that, you know, I mean, so much of this is hindsight, so much of this is doing an assessment and looking at all the things that happened and trying to, you know, see see where you hit your limitations, right? And sure. See where, you know, where perception of yourself broke down, where the public perception broke down and things like that, you know, it's very complicated. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of in a, I guess in, in a nutshell, what, what happened with all that, I think it pretty much, you know, went into yeah. the, to most, most of, uh, I got yeah. you. Um, <laughs> so I appreciate you taking the, it off there. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you taking the time, uh, to, to go over all that and to, um, give us all a very real perspective. Um, I think that not enough people do that on a regular basis. So oh yeah. It, it means a lot. I, um, I, 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 it wouldn't serve any purpose for me, you know, like last thing I would ever feel like doing would be to try to like, you know, talk about it any other way yeah. than that. You know what I right, mean? It's right. like, it's one of those things that's, it happens. I dealt with it. Everything's fine. Right. You know, everything's moving in the right direction. Yep. And so to try to like project blame or try to, you know, put a veneer over what happened and, uh, you know, indulge yourself with like, you know, fantastical versions of why you, you ended up in the place you were at. I mean, at the end of the day, people can see through your shit and you're just oh, yeah. kidding yourself, you know? Right. So, I mean, I, th I think that that's the, really the only way that I could really talk about it because, you know, I see all the angles of what happened, you know? Sure. And what, was it all just me? No, but was I the driving force behind it and does all that rest of my shoulders as a result? Well, 100%. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not going to back down from that. Right. So. Because, and, be, and, and to put that in perspective, because if it went well, you would have been the one. That yeah, I would have gotten the credit. You know right. what I mean. So right. it's it's one of those things. That you're, it, it's a very it's a, like a you know kind of a zero sum game, right? You right. Know, where <laughs> you're, um, you know, you're you're taking a risk. Like every event, anybody who organizes events knows that every single event is like a gamble on some level, especially oh, in yeah. a small smaller market like Pittsburgh. Right. Because you know, I mean, I think any band, if if you're in a band and you're listening, I think everyone's had the experience of being derailed by a Penguins game. You know, when you're playing a show with like Howlers or something like that, like, oh, well, it's a playoff game, so I guess we're going to have to wait and start the show until after the game's over. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, you know, th there's always so many things that can, can fuck up an event that just are outside of your control because, you know, yeah. especially with Pittsburgh and sports, like, to get love and, their, and there's nothing wrong with it. People love sports yeah. in Pittsburgh, and so whenever, especially if a team, you know, gets into the playoffs or yeah. championship yeah. in Pittsburgh, everyone knows that 
you know, this, you know, everything closes down, people, everyone in the city is a fan for a day. And then that's, you know, if you have another event going on, like, well, well, that's just tough. Right. <laughs> you know? And to put that in perspective, some people might live, might not live in an area where they have big sports teams or maybe they're not big fans. A small market I know, big even, team, yeah. Yeah. Even in, in the, you know, I, I grew up in Orange County and they do have these big teams, but. You have 20 for, million people exactly. in the valley. So, yeah, you can so find it's not people like, that don't give a shit. You know, right. Sports, not, yeah. Where in, in Pittsburgh, you literally have two-thirds of the businesses close when mm -hmm. there's a game yeah. because one no one's going to be there and two they don't want to be there yeah. so oh yeah exactly like yeah. it's it's the the whole town shuts down yeah i mean i believe uh, there's three hundred and forty thousand people in the pittsburgh city limits and 1.2 million in all of allegheny county sounds right and so if you compare that to a market like los angeles <laughs> right. or new york you know brooklyn or chicago yeah. like it, it's not going to hold true in the same way because and especially with pittsburgh's unique because you know, like with the the Penguins and, and the Steelers, they're like seminal franchises within their within their respective sports, right? Uh, that have a, a large amount of clout in, in so general. Good, they're good teams. Yeah, they're it, good teams that are disproportionately <laughs> like uh, people pay attention to them disproportionately for how small the market is comparatively, Absolutely. right? Right. Like I would right. say, there's there's a much higher percentage of Penguins fans and Steelers fans, and to a lesser extent, Pirate fans that would you know, in the event of something, uh, you know something like a playoff game happening like or you know even just a regular game happening like uh, there's a certain segment that are going to be more engaged with those events as yeah. opposed to anything else that might be going on and it's just the reality of you know the city you live in and you know, it's one of the things i in, in a way i do like that a lot about pittsburgh you know like i, I could be sitting here and just talk shit on the penguins you know and <laughs> yeah. like, oh this fucking penguins ruined everything you know like <laughs> but i but i get it at the same yeah. time you know it's like it's it is the market, you know, it, it, it right. is the where you are doing business. And yeah. I do like the fact that there is that type of civic pride that does get directed towards, you know, like one, not even just, not even because it's sports, but just because it's one solid direction, you know what I mean? Right. It, it, there's something interesting to me about that because so often, you know, you see, you go to cities and there's sort of like a, like um there's sort of a, like every, everybody is sort of a, a satellite at once to each other. You know what I mean? There's yeah. not like a cohesion there. And right. so since there isn't like a cohesion, you very rarely see anything that can happen in that city that can move everybody in a certain direction, you right. know, um, and, and have a certain impact. It, it, as far as like just the percentages of people, you know, who are going to be engaged, like, you know, whenever, whenever the Penguins hit the Stanley, you know, made it to the Stanley Cup that year, I mean, you probably had every single, you know, every single sports bar in the city would be packed with people. Right. And, you know, everything was just kind of shut down. I mean, I think the thing with hockey, especially in conjunction with our music scene, because I do know a lot of people who are hockey fans, but they're not really into, you know, any other sports, but yeah. they like hockey, you know. And I think that, like, I see that more consistently in the artist community here, or at least that used to be the case. Um, so I, I feel like that that was sort of a that's sort of a unique perfect storm that affects musicians here locally. Like, yeah. like I said, I think everybody's had to like wait for a Penguins game to be over to like you know start their set. You know, stuff like that has happened. Right. So uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's one of the you know it's the unique conundrum of doing events in Pittsburgh. You know, it's so many things that can tie into it. Right. So where where would you see yourself? How do you want to grow in the next five ten years? What is, what is your 
where do you see opportunities and what do you kind of hope for yourself? I mean, it seems like things are coming together doing production and publishing in LA. Cool. Yep. Um, so I'd assume that eventually I'll probably make the transition from being in Portland to being in Los Angeles. Got you. So, uh, so yeah, but my, my goal is remain the same as far as, as best I can to, you know, try to always have people who I worked with from Pittsburgh and uh, to, to try to create opportunities as much as possible. Um, and I, I think a lot of that comes from just from growing up and not feeling that there is a whole lot of opportunity or unique outlet. Yeah. You know, and I, I grew up in, a, in an area that was, you know, ravaged by, you know, like the opiate epidemic before it was called the opiate epidemic. Yeah. You know, before it hit the cul-de-sacs. So, uh, <laughs> so there was, uh, there was like a lot of places that there just wasn't, there wasn't a lot of hope, you know, of having anything. Like if you were creative and you were in like, Cheswick and Springdale, like you, you, you had no, there was no, nowhere, nothing for you to do, you know, like 15, right. 20 years ago. Right. You know, there, there wasn't like, uh, there wasn't like uh, any sort of catalyst that, that could get you to the next level. So I guess in some way that, um, you know, I have a lot of love for Pittsburgh and always have, always will. And so have, I, I, as best I can, if I can be a catalyst in a small way for some people, as best I can yeah. to create opportunities, that's something that I always want to be doing. Cool. Love it. Um, where can we follow you along your journey? Instagram? Oh, just Instagram probably. I'm, I'm rebooting my website for like uh, a while now, so eventually okay. that'll come back up. Um, okay. My Instagram's a mixture of my personal life, you know, like I, I if I was being, uh, you know, you know, more calculated with my business decisions, I should <laughs> probably have a separate delineation for each one, but just how I personally want to interact with social media, yeah, I keep it all on one thing. So gotcha. if you follow my Instagram, you'll see pictures of my dog, a wood carving I'm working on, announcements for projects that I have coming out. It's all in one thing, and I yeah. apologize if any of that is the content that you don't want, but it's gonna be all in one place. <laughs> no, I think it's good. You know? <laughs> I think it's good. Like, uh, probably a little bit of an overreaction from how I was before, where I was like, oh, everything must be this, this account for this thing and that. Right. You know? Like, I sort of just threw up my hands at social media, I'm like, and I'm out, you know? So, right. But yeah, at ZSDust on Instagram, and, uh, yeah, I think that's probably the probably the best way. Awesome. Well, we uh, can't wait. Thanks so much for being on. Yeah, for sure, Josh. Thank you. Absolutely.